In preparation for Andrew's lesson, we'll be reading Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever your task, work heartily as serving the Lord and not men. It is not an easy thing to do to lead a prayer publicly, period. It is certainly not an easy thing to do to lead a prayer in a room this size when the power goes out. So, Ed, I think in Christian love, I'm supposed to say I wish that had happened to me and not you, but I hope the mic stays on for the next few minutes. (laughs) And people say they will preach shortly. I know preachers say that all the time, but tonight I'm not racing the clock. I think I'm racing the next power surge. So we'll keep this as short as possible, Uh, but I do want to begin by echoing uh, what Randy so eloquently said this morning to welcome our college students, and we are so glad that you guys are back. August, I'm finding out uh, now in this position, is different from how I viewed August the last few years as kind of a time to uh, recharge and renew has been August for me for the last five years. Not anymore. Uh, It's a time to get to work, uh, but it means that we get to spend more time working alongside you guys, and I know there's a few of them in the back, so we are really glad that y'all are here. We hope that everyone will stay tonight for the meet and greet after worship, Uh, but tonight I want to take a really simple look at a passage in Scripture that is not so simple, at a passage in Scripture that will absolutely change our lives if we will listen to what the text has to say, not just to hear it, not just to read it, but if we will listen to what it has to say. So if you'll turn over to Colossians chapter 3, that's where we're going to begin in just a moment. Now, in the college room with the college students this year, our theme for the year has been the passage that Brother Buford read for us just a second ago. Whatever you do, do it for God. Do it in the name of God. And Paul says something very similar in verse 23. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And one of the major questions I think that we all ask No matter where we are on the timeline of life, you don't have to be a high school student, you don't have to be a college student, you don't have to just be a parent or a grandparent or anywhere that we left off of the timeline. I think we all ask that question, how? You know, how do we do everything for God? Surely we don't mean everything, right? Maybe that means, okay, we should go to church for God. We should try to watch our mouths for God. We should try to make sure that we're being righteous for God, but certainly we can't mean that all of life has to be dictated by what God says, and certainly all of life can't be viewed as some type of working for him or some type of service for him. And I'm sure you've heard of the old story of the young married couple. A particular woman was married to a young man who was not a Christian, and the wife, at every chance she had, would try to convince this man to give his life to Christ. As a part of that, she wanted to make sure he was with her every time she walked in the doors of a church building. And she had that husband coming to church faithfully for years and years and years until finally one night she was very frustrated and she sat him down at the dinner table at home and said, Honey, what's it going to take for me to get you to open up your heart to this? What's it going to take for me to get you to consider devoting your life to the same cause that I have devoted mine to? And he looked at her and he was a little confused and he said, Let me tell you what, all these years that you've been trying to convince me to follow Christ... If you can explain to me tonight what the difference is between me and you, then I'll become a Christian right now. And she's thinking, okay, this is a layup. This is going to be really easy. Uh, How about this? I don't cuss. He said, well, neither do I. 
well, uh, okay, why well, don't go out and party with all these people who try? Well, and neither do I. I stay home with you. Well, I treat people with kindness and respect, and I smile at people, and I hold the door open, and I generally try to have an attitude towards love everybody else. Well, you know that I do, too. And finally, she gets a little bit frustrated, and she says, well, me and you are different because God has saved me, and he hasn't saved you. And he said to her, well, why has God saved you? And she said, because of all these things I've been able to do. And the man responded by saying, if God has saved you because of the things you have done, why wouldn't he do the same for me? So the question stands, I think, how do we do things that other people do, that people can do outside of Christ? How do we take those things and bring them under the control of the love of Christ? What is it that makes someone in your profession different from you as a Christian working in that profession. College students, what makes you different as a Christian college student? I don't think we would say, well, it's just because I go to school at a Christian university, because now we're saying, well, you can't be a Christian anywhere but a Christian university. What is it that makes us be able to work heartily for God in everything that we do, not just in some of the things that we do? What makes us different from anyone else who is patient, humble, loving, and kind? Colossians 3 is going to answer all of those questions for us tonight, and it will answer a few more questions. Before we start, though, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, I want to give you a little bit of background about Colossians. Paul's never met these people before, and he's writing to them, and he reveals in chapter 2 that one of his main reasons for writing this letter to them is so that they won't be confused, they won't be carried away by what he calls plausible arguments, which, by the way, are arguments that might carry a little bit of weight that are more likely to lead you astray. He says, I don't want any of you to be deluded. I don't want you to get your, your thinking changed by these arguments that have a little bit of weight to them. And when he's in chapter 2, he gets to a few of those. And if you want to take a look, he talks about some of the traditions. He specifically mentions philosophy and tradition. And also down towards the bottom of the chapter, he's going to mention some Jewish dietary restrictions and also some Jewish festivals, keeping the dates on the calendar. And when he gets to the end of that discussion, here's what he's going to tell them in verse 23. These things, and when he says these things, we mean human philosophy, human traditions, and we mean these Jewish traditions that have also been carried on in the Christian lifestyle. He says all of these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. In other words, they look really good. From the outside looking in, making sure that you're keeping all these things and you're doing all these things, it's going to make you look great to everybody outside. But here's what Paul has to say about them. They have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Wow. They make you look good. They make you look really religious. They make you look really righteous. So maybe as a college student, we're saying, how do I do everything in the name of the Lord? Well, I'm going to go to church every time the doors are open. I'm going to try to stay out of these areas. I'm going to try to watch my mouth. In these scenarios, I'm going to try to keep away from these types of people. And that's not just a college thing. That's no matter where we are in our our particular walk in life or with God right now. What is it that's going to help us to work in the name of God? Paul says there's a lot of things we can do to make us look good. But at the end, some of them are going to have no value in actually stopping the things that we're trying to stop as Christians. So that sets up what Paul gets to in Colossians chapter 3. And he's going to start off in verse 1 by saying... If, then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated 
at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, doing everything in the name of the Lord, I think quite obviously begins with what Paul mentions here. And that is putting his name on yourself in the first place. Paul says, if then you are raised with Christ, and by saying, if you are raised with Christ, Paul is going to assume that you know something. Or Paul is going to assume that you've already completed a long journey to be able to say, I have been raised with Christ. And if you want to know more about what Paul thinks about that, you can flip over to Romans chapter 6, and you can read the first 10 or 11 verses of the chapter where he says, we are buried with Christ, how? In baptism. Now, this burial and baptism isn't just, as Peter will say, a washing of the body to remove the dirt, but it's the cleansing of a clean conscience towards God. Paul is going to say, when we go down into this burial with Christ in the waters of baptism, what we are doing is dying to an old way of life. And we are rising to a new way of life, not with our name on it. We lose our name at this point, and the only name that begins to matter is the name of Christ. Doing everything in the name of Jesus begins with putting on the name of Jesus in the first place in baptism. So doing things in the name of Jesus means that we recognize what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. That this salvation that we have, that burial that we have access to is not a result of our work so that no man may boast. But is a free gift that God has given to all of us, this opportunity to take it. So doing things in the name of Jesus, we're coming from a place, first of all, that understands that our self-worth is not based on our performance. And isn't it so tempting in our culture to base our self-worth on our performance? It's true in the job world. It's true in high school. You've got to get the grades, right? You've got to make the most points on the team. You got to score the most touchdowns. You got to have the most yards. You know, it's it's all about your performance. You perform better, your worth goes up. People value you more. Your coaches value you more as a player if your performance goes up. Your teachers value more as a student if your performance goes up. Your bosses value you more as an employee as your production goes up. So much in our lives is based on our performance, but isn't it incredible? Isn't it incredible that God bases this gift of salvation Not upon our performance nor our past. And if you need proof of that, you can go read about the Apostle Paul. This gift of grace has been given by God to be just that, a gift. So we are able to serve not only ourselves, but the communities around us and our God as well. From a place of the deepest and the highest form of self-worth that we can have. Knowing that the creator of the entire universe is the one who says that we are worth something. Now, what exactly did he say that we are worth? He says that he's worth his own life. Well, I'm afraid that one of the biggest lies that some of our younger people are told, and certainly that doesn't leave by the time you turn 20 or 21, I think one of the biggest lies this culture will tell us is that if you don't adhere to these standards, you're not worth much. You know, if if you can't, and now I think social media is making this worse. You know, if you can't get this many followers... Twitter and Instagram, by the way, for the rest of you, are things on the Internet. The Internet's like computers and that kind of thing. That's what I've been told. 
But I think we, we get so tempted to, to measure ourselves by these type of standards that Randy was talking about this morning, these earthly things that Paul will mention later in the chapter. But God says, you know what, I think you're worth something. And it's while we were enemies, you might remember this, while we were enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. Not when we were perfect. Not when we were good enough, God decided, okay, well now they've been good enough, now I'll offer them salvation. He offered it to us even while we were his enemies. So doing everything in the name of Jesus does begin with putting that name on. And putting that name on means that we understand so many of these things and so many more, but for the sake of time and for the sake of the next power surge, we won't mention tonight. But there's also something else about wearing that name, about wearing that name that we had read for us a moment ago in verse 17, do everything in the name of Jesus. When you put a name on your back, then you are saying that you represent this person, right? You'll notice that any number of sports teams, they might have the, the last name on the back, but on the front name, it's on the front of the jersey, it's the same name, right? We all represent X institution. We all represent this particular school. And wearing that name is going to cause other people to look at you and identify that name with what you're doing. They're going to take the actions that we have, and if we have that name Christian plastered on us, which, by the way, by its very definition, simply means of Christ. So if we're telling people that we are of Christ, we're making a very bold claim to say, hey, everything I'm doing is in the name of Jesus Christ, and the things I'm doing, it should be as if Jesus were doing them himself. Then when people watch us, they're going to determine what Christ must teach based on our actions. Someone who's never heard of Jesus, but they know that you're a Christian. Someone who's never really read their Bible, but they know that you're a Christian. They're going to take the way that you act. They're going to take the words that you speak, the way that you interact with people, and they're going to assume that must be what Christ taught. How do you stack up to that standard? How do any of us stack up to that standard? We wear the name. Wearing the name means a whole lot more than showing up in a building a few times a week and trying to keep ourselves from falling into a few things that we might say are wrong. It's much deeper than that. I'm reminded of a historian named Pliny. From long ago, he was a Roman historian. He was writing about a governor at the time who was concerned with what to do about the Christians in his city. He was trying to decide if he was going to have them all put in prison or have them all executed. The problem was he didn't know that much about Christians. So he asked somebody to go out and find out some things about Christians for him. Well, the people that went out looking to find this information found some Christians, but they weren't Bible-believing Christians. They were Christians who had mixed a lot of pagan practices, such as child sacrifice, and such as a lot of worship activities that were involved in the worship of Aphrodite, if you're familiar what Aphrodite was the goddess of. They found Christians who were involved in these types of things. And they went back and reported to the governor. And if you're the governor of a city, what are you going to do when you find out there's a group of people all united under one name murdering their children? You're probably going to say those people need to be put in prison. You see, these, these men and women so long ago that wore the name of Christ did these things, telling people we're doing them in the name of Christ. And it turned off an entire an entire country in the end now certainly not all of it was a lack of communication like that but you see how things when we misrepresent christ the amount of damage it can do not just for us not just for me and if we misrepresent christ here in montgomery it doesn't just damage the church in montgomery it damages the church 
across the entire planet. So in the first place, in the first place doing everything in the name of Christ involves putting the name on in the first place. And putting that name on gives us a lot of responsibility. But secondly, you'll notice that he says, if you have been raised with Christ, if you're really in Christ, you will seek the things that are above. Doing ever, and this is common sense, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but doing everything in the name of Jesus is only possible when you're doing the things of Jesus. And the things of Jesus are mentioned here. These things that are above are mentioned down in verse 12. Put on then, so when you become this new person, you need to put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, when he says these things are the things above, he obviously doesn't mean spatially, right? He's not saying there are things that are literally in a pyramid, and there are things that are below, and things that are above. He's not talking about space and time. Obviously, he's talking about transcendent value, right? He's saying that these things are worth so much more because they are the things of God. And in fact, if you want to look back in verse 9 of the same chapter, look at how he words this. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. What kind of new self? What does this new self look like? How does this new self work in the name of Jesus? How does it do everything? Whether How does it do being a college student? How does it do being a, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister? whatever profession you might be in. How does that inform that? Look at what he says here in verse 10. You put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. After the image of its creator, God himself. The idea is for us to be striving to be more like the image of our creator every single day. And if we are doing that, then certainly we're going to agree with him that his ways are the highest ways, but we cannot do all things in the name of Jesus if we don't think that his ways are the best ways, right? Parents who have the heart, or excuse me, children who have the hardest time obeying their parents are the children who think they're smarter than their parents, right? Which is basically all of us at age 16 to 18. Hopefully it doesn't last any longer than that. But if we don't agree with the standard set, then certainly we're going to have a much harder time following those things. So sometimes I don't think it should come as any surprise. Maybe if we're struggling with a particular sin or if we're, if we're struggling in certain ways of following our God, and we're like, I don't know how I keep winding up back in this rut. You know, I don't want to do this, but I keep getting back into it. Maybe it's time for us to take a step back and wonder, do I really think that the ways of God are higher than the ways of the world? Would I really rather be humble and meek than have a lot of power and money? Do I really believe that? And I might, you know, I might say and understand that I should believe that. But when it comes time at work for me to maybe shirk some of my spiritual responsibilities and pick up some of the work responsibilities so I can move up higher, make more money, have more influence... Well, then maybe I know I should do all things in the name of God, but if I just kind of put that to the side for a second, I can get up here, and then I can do so much more. I wonder if sometimes we actually do agree with the values that God has set in place, that it is better to be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient and forgiving than all the things that the world tells us are the most valuable values 
in life. The kind of things that we leave behind us, you'll look in verse 5. He's going to mention a few of them there. They're, they're very different, but they're all very similar. He's going to say, put to death what's earthly in you. That's sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On behalf of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And don't lie to one another. Why do we do those types of things? For self-preservation, right? For our own glory, said another way. God says there's a better way to do things. Doing everything in the name of Jesus is only possible when you actually do the things of Jesus. And the final point we want to make tonight is that we must be doing these higher things in higher ways. Let's go down to verse 22. Right after Paul says, whatever you do, do in the name of the Lord, he starts going into Christian households. He says, so if you want to do being a wife in the name of the Lord, here's how you do it. If you want to be a husband in the name of the Lord, here's how you do it. If you want to be a father in the name of the Lord, here's how you do it. A child in the name of the Lord, here's how you do it. Then he gets to something that he says to the bond servants. And that the households at the time were comprised of the parents, the children, and then the servants in the house. The instruction that he gives to them is particularly interesting here because he's going to repeat what he says in verse 17. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that he tells them, I want you to obey them, but I want you to do it for the right reasons. He doesn't just say obey them, period, next, uh, next area of people. He doesn't move straight into the, the masters of these slaves right after that. He says to them, I don't want you to do it just for eye service, just so these people will like you, or just so you can move up, or maybe you can have favor. I don't want you to do it just for that. I want you to do it with sincerity of heart. I want you to do it as if you are doing it for the Lord and not for men. And isn't everything that we do in this life ultimately for the Lord and not for men? So the question isn't necessarily what little things do I need to do here and there to make sure that I'm working for God. I think in all of our different areas of employment and all of our different spheres of influence, that will practically speaking, boots on the ground, look very different perhaps one to another. But what unites us is that Focus. Let's go back to verse 11, and I'm sorry for jumping around the chapter, but let's look, look back in verse 11. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all, and he is in all. Now, certainly he's not saying when you come to Christ, you, act, you literally lose the biology that made you the nationality you were before. He's not saying that. And in fact, in Corinthians, he's going to say, if you come to Christ as a free man, don't be put under uh, subjection of another man. And if you come to Christ as a slave, don't seek your freedom. He's going to say, live as you were called. So there's something else that we're talking about here. There is distinction, but he says what unites us is that we're doing all these things as if we were doing them for God himself. What do we mean when we say doing them for God? Are we saying that God actually needs us to do these things for him because he can't do them himself? Or because he simply won't do them himself? So he's asking us to do them uh, for him? You know... A long time ago, the Jews 
thought that way. At their worst, the establishment of Israel, the religious establishment, thought that way. And I encourage you to go look in Psalm chapter 50 and read through that, and you'll see that God says, it's not for your sacrifices that I condemn you. It's not for your sacrifices that I condemn you. I asked you to do these sacrifices, and you have done them. But he says, these sacrifices you have offered to me are in vain. And when he gets down to verse 12, he says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. You see, the Jews had worked themselves into this way of thinking that I do these things, and and the more that I do these things, it doesn't matter if I'm doing them for the right reasons or not. It's just a simple matter of am I doing them. And God, what God has to say about that time and time again is, I'm not going to rebuke you for not offering the sacrifices, but in vain are you worshiping me, because your heart is not where it should be. Folks, doing the right thing for the wrong reason is still wrong. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason is still wrong. It might help somebody else. It might do somebody else some good immediately, physically, but in the eyes of God, he knows our heart, and he alone knows our heart. And if you have trouble swallowing that, go read in Matthew chapter 6. Here you find a group of people who are giving to poor people. They're giving their money to poor people. They're praying. They're leading prayer. And they're spending time in fasting. And Jesus tells all of them, that he's not happy with them. Well, how? They're doing all the right things. What's the problem? He says, when you give to the needy, don't be like these others, these scribes and Pharisees who love to to sound a gong, who love to have everyone know when they're handing money off to somebody else. Because you see, the idea behind that is not because they want to help that person. They want to help themselves. They want everybody to know, how good am I? How great am I? Look at this money I've been giving everybody. Watch me give. It's great. Where's that money going? Who is helping? I don't care. It's making me look good. When they get up to lead prayer, Jesus says, when you pray, you must not pray like them. They love to stand up on the street corners so that everybody can hear them. They're not concerned about the words that are coming out of their mouth for the sake of God and the people that they are praying for. They're worried about how good do these words sound. Is someone going to say, this was a great prayer afterward? Is someone going to pat me on the back and say, man, you sure did a great job? If that's the focus, Jesus says, then... You've already got what's coming to you. And if we are living our Christian lives, if we're trying to do everything in the name of the Lord, simply by, I don't want to do these things, I really hate having to do these things, but you know I'm going to do them for the sake of appearances and because I think I have to do them. Meanwhile, in our hearts, we're really not worshiping at all. Then you will get the pat on the back. You will get it. And guys, in college, if you don't believe this, ask the people that went before you. And in high school as well. You can fool people around you. It's really not that difficult. But if you are living the way that if you're trying to follow God just for the sake of the pat on the back or just for the sake of of others looking at you and holding you to a certain standard just because it's going to make you more acceptable, you're going to get that. You will get your pat on the back. You will get your acceptance from other people. But Jesus says, that's all. That's it. He says, but when you give to the needy, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees in secret. And that Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you fast, don't don't disfigure your face and look gloomy as the others do, but anoint your head with oil. The Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. 
So whether we're doing things as a college student, a high school student, a plumber, a father, a mother, a CEO, a janitor, we must all be united in the most important truth that we must be using every moment we have not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God the Father. Because isn't that exactly what Jesus did? You see, it's not enough to just try to do. We wear the name of Jesus. We try to do the things of Jesus. But we must also do them for the same reasons that Jesus did them. If we want to try to do everything in the name of the Lord. This is how we can work together to show the rest of this community what it looks like to do all things heartily or to do all things in the name of God or to do all things as if we are working for God. We do this all for God's glory. Matthew chapter 5, he says that we're the salt of the, earl, the world, we're the, we're the salt of the earth, we're the light of the world, not for ourselves. He said, so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're not about getting people to say, how awesome is university? We're not trying to get people to say, how great is university's youth ministry? How great is university's college ministry? How great are all the things that university has going on? How great is God? That is our aim, and that is what we are striving for. C.S. Lewis used to say that there was any sort of appreciation of something was incomplete until we had someone else joining him with us on that appreciation. If we truly appreciate any sort of book or movie, what's one of the first things you do when you finish? Uh, next time you bump into somebody, hey, man, I just finished this great book. Or, I just finished this great movie. You need to go see it. I tell you what, once you see it with me or after you read it, let's, let's talk about it. We have this desire, part of enjoying something. Enjoying something is not complete if it's just us by ourselves. We like to share it. We want to have somebody else admire what we think is worth admiration just because it deserves to be admired. And if we truly appreciate God and if we truly admire God, we can't convince other people to glorify God if we don't glorify him first. If you don't think God is worth the glory that is ascribed to him in Scripture, you're going to have a hard time convincing other people to do that as well. We must all be working to try to reveal the glory of God to the rest of creation. And that is the higher way, but it's also the more difficult way. That's the narrow gate. But I thank God that that is the way that so many of you in this room have chosen tonight. It's an encouragement to me, just your presence here. And I know we say all the time, we're glad you're here, but we really mean it. Just your presence here tonight is an encouragement to me. Imagine if you decided to stay home, and so did I, and so did the person sitting next to you. And we walk in here, and there's like two people when you show up. You'll stay in your worship in spite of that, but the encouragement you received is not the same as if you were to be encouraged by the rest of your brothers and sisters here tonight. The higher way is the harder way, and you are welcome. If you have not joined in on that way tonight, you're welcome to join those of us who have. We mentioned a moment ago that that offer of grace, that offer of salvation is available, and it's always available. So we're about to sing a song, but just because... For some reason, you couldn't make the decision during the song. You can always, always respond because the sacrifice that Jesus made is not limited to just a few minutes a week. It's eternal for all those who will accept. And if you haven't accepted that tonight, I pray that you will ask yourself why. And if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and if you do believe that these things are the higher ways, 
then there is water right here. Don't wait another minute. Come now as we sing together.